Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. President Trump doubles down on his defense of a former aide accused of abuse. Did Mike Pence miss a chance for a diplomatic opening at the Olympics? And the Obamas make history once again. This is the State of America Tonight. Rob Porter did the right thing by resigning. He says he's innocent, and I think you have to remember that. As soon as it became apparent to us that the allegations were true, Rob Porter had to go. Who knew what, when, and why it took so long to act? There is no daylight between South Korea and the United States. North Koreans also calling Vice President Pence's visit here in Pyeongchang a missed opportunity. President Obama at the official unveiling of his portrait. I tried to negotiate less gray hair. Gehenna's artistic integrity would not allow him to do what I asked. Hello, everyone. I'm Frederica Whitfield, live in New York, in for Kate Baldwin. This is State of America Tonight. President Trump is kicking off the new week with a trillion-dollar plan to fix the nation's roads and bridges. This morning, I submitted legislative principles to Congress that will spur the biggest and boldest infrastructure investment in American history. But as is often the case with this White House, that pivot to policy is being overshadowed by controversy. The turmoil over Rob Porter, the former top Trump aide accused of domestic violence, is intensifying after a strong show of support from the president, including this weekend's tweet that reads in part, quote, people's lives are being shattered and destroyed by a mere allegation. Trump went on to ask in his words, is there no such thing any longer as due process? But one of the top ranking women in the Trump administration seems to have a different view. In this case, you have contemporaneous police reports. You have women speaking to the FBI under threat of perjury. You have police reports. You have photographs. And when you look at all of that pulled together, you realize that Rob Porter did the right thing by resigning. It sounds like you believe the women. I I have no reason not to believe the women. And when we asked about that tweet, the president's budget director said this. What I think you saw there was a couple of different things. I think the tweet could be applied to a bunch of different people. In fact, when I saw the tweet, I noticed Rob Porter wasn't mentioned. I wondered if the president was talking about his friend Steve Wynn, who has been accused and essentially condemned without any due process. But what you also saw there from the president is a certain sadness that somebody that he liked had let him down. Today, another Trump aide tried to clarify the president's comments. The president has been very clear that all forms of abuse, uh, all forms of, uh, uh, of um, uh, battery against women, but he hasn't is said horrible that. and disgusting. He, uh, right, but he hasn't. You haven't talked to him today. I mean, obviously, he said that multiple times in the past. But sources tell CNN that behind closed doors, President Trump is striking a very different tone. They say in private, he has called Porter a quote sick puppy, while dismissing the allegations against him in public. And now one of the women making those allegations, Porter's second ex-wife, 
Jennifer Willoughby, is responding directly to Trump. In an opinion piece for Time magazine, Willoughby writes in part, in light of the president's and the White House's continued dismissal of me and Colby, that's Porter's other ex-wife, I want to assure you my truth has not been diminished. I own my story. And now that I have been compelled to share it, I'm not willing to cover it up for anyone. I want to bring in CNN White House reporter Jeremy Diamond. So, Jeremy, uh, we're learning that some of the White House staff is confused by the president's shifting stances on Rob Porter. Tell us more. That's right. And frankly, most of the country should be confused when we get these reports, as we have in recent days, that the president has been critical privately of Rob Porter, who, of course, has been accused by two of his ex-wives of domestic abuse, both physical and emotional uh, abuse. Uh, You know, the president, despite that private criticism that we've been hearing about now from our sources for several days, publicly has struck a very different tone. We heard him, of course, on Friday weigh in for the first time, and he did not express any sympathy for these uh, women who have come forward to uh, make these allegations against Porter. Instead, he focused on Porter's denials. He said that he hoped Porter would have a great career going forward. And then, of course, we saw this tweet from him uh, over the weekend, which suggested that there was no longer any due process in the country and that individuals could be accused of behavior and have their lives uh, ruined. And do you saw there the budget director, Mick Mulvaney, on the Sunday shows uh, questioning whether that was, in fact, about Rob Porter. It seems unquestionably that it was. But what's interesting is that it's because there is a pattern with this president, of course, as we've seen, uh, of defending uh, men who have been accused of improper behavior. Uh, not only Steve Wynn and Rob Porter, uh, but also himself, of course. This is a president who came into office after facing uh, about a dozen allegations of sexual mis- misconduct from various women during the 2016 presidential campaign. Uh, Of course, amid all of this, the White House still facing a lot of questions about who knew what and when. In particular, White House Chief of Staff John Kelly still very much facing those questions. Uh, CNN has learned that senior White House officials, including Kelly, knew months before these allegations became public uh, that Rob Porter was facing some domestic abuse allegations from his ex-wives. Frederica? All right, Jeremy Diamond, keep us posted. Thank you so much. All right, now that Mike Pence is back in Washington from uh, the Olympics, he'll no doubt face questions about the Porter uproar. But the vice president will also likely be asked about a new report where he said the U.S. and South Korea have agreed on further engagement with North Korea, something that could potentially lead to direct talks. That's quite a departure from this warning from President Trump just last summer. North Korea, best not make any more threats to the United States, they will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. All right, joining me now, former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Bill Richardson. Uh, Good to see you, Ambassador. So Vice President uh, Mike Pence saying that and reportedly saying he's willing to talk. How much of a breakthrough do you believe this is? Well, if it sticks, it is a breakthrough because what we're now saying, the U.S. government is no preconditions for talks. When in the past we said, North Korea, you've got to agree to curb or eliminate your uh, nuclear arsenal. Now we're saying, let's have talks that might lead to a negotiation. This is the vice president of the United States, um, the second highest official in the country. And I'm actually encouraged because I think the Olympics, the potential 
uh, North-South presidential meeting, Kim Jong-un and President Moon, is a step in the right direction. So uh, I don't hear all this talk about uh, bloody noses, preemptive military strikes, maybe some contradictions on how the talks are going to emanate, but at least diplomacy rather than force. And I think that's good. And speaking of which, during the Olympics, Pence was just feet away from North Korea's leader, uh, Kim Jong-un's sister. And while you've said a handshake would not necessarily have been wise, perhaps the vice president missed an opportunity to make at least eye contact or something else? Well, yeah, I've been in situations like that where I'm prohibited. For instance, there was once with Fidel Castro almost uh, 15 years ago where I was told, make sure that if he moves your way, you kind of run off and not have eye contact. So uh, I'm not blaming Pence. I think what he could have done is looked over to her, maybe a smile, uh, because I think this woman is a player. She is the sister of Kim Jong-un, and I think he sent her to send that message, at least with South Korea, that maybe there's a possibility to talk about easing tension on a peninsula that is enormously, enormously concerned about a missile or an artillery or a nuclear attack. So uh, I think Pence could have done that, but I don't blame him. I'm not uh, upset about it. And how about these meetings between North and South Korea while right now on South Korean soil, potentially on North Korean soil? uh, Do you believe this will help cool tensions? And how hard should the U.S. try to potentially be a part of that? Well, I believe that uh, it will cool tensions. There's no question about it. Secondly, the U.S. should not participate in this, but have the South Korean maybe lay out president a framework for the U.S. to enter talks with North Korea, perhaps Japan, later on denuclearization. I think this South Korean talk with the North Korean, they should focus on human rights issues, on family reunification, on some way to ease tension. But I think for the public, especially in South Korea, 25 million people, especially around Seoul, it's going to ease a lot of tension. I mean, there's enormous concern about preemptive military strikes and artillery uh, battles. So I think the South Korean uh, made a very important initiative. And with the North Korean, as long as they focus on easing tension and not expect too much from it, I think the South Korean has to be careful because the last two summits between South and North Korea have not ended well uh, because the North Koreans wanted aid and investment. And then they didn't deliver. They didn't keep their promises on what would happen. All right, Governor and Ambassador uh, Bill Richardson, always good to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. As the Me Too movement sparks conversations across the U.S., the president takes a step in the other direction. We'll look at the confusion around a former White House aide. The panel is next. A scandal inside the White House has shaken up the staff, and the president's response is only adding to the confusion. In public, President Trump is defending a former aide over allegations of domestic abuse. But in private, a source tells CNN the president is calling Rob Porter a sick puppy. 
the panel tonight. Alex Burns, CNN political analyst and New York Times national political reporter. Rob Estorino, a Donald Trump supporter. Michael Morey, a former communications director for Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer and Evan Siegfried. Republican strategist and the author of GOP GPS. Good to see all of you. Welcome to the table. So, Alex, you first, you know, the White House aides are expressing a lot of confusion. One message is going out uh, from those who have came out on all the Sunday talk shows. The president had a very different message on Friday and then again uh, via tweet. This kind of circling around, trying to convey a message how troublesome is this for the White well, House? Well, look, I think it's a giant problem for the White House that they have at various stages in different ways uh, tried to convey some level of contrition, some level of alarm about what happened with Rob Porter. Uh, certainly General Kelly, the chief of staff, is trying very, very hard to make the case that uh, he handled everything appropriately based on the information he had at the time, and there's still a lot of questions about that. Uh, when all of that is going on, when you have a White House chief of staff in survival mode, a White House counsel perhaps in survival mode, and the president goes out and essentially undermines the entire message uh, of contrition, that it jeopardizes the entire enterprise. And, and it says they're not talking within the White House. Or they're What's talking the and then he's going out and doing something different, right? Which, I mean, I covered the 2016 campaign. We all remember the 2016 campaign. Mm. That's a very familiar phenomenon from the 2016 campaign, that they all get in a room, they say, this is what we're going to say, and then he goes out in public and says something completely different. Right, and, and he welcomed the reporters in. That was kind of um, an unscripted moment. No one else in the White House really expected that to happen. Um, so, Evan, we're talking about a pattern, whether it's the pattern of the president being on one page and the White House staff being on another. There's also the pattern of how the president has responded to accusations, whether it be Alabama's Roy Moore, whether it be Corey Lewandowski. I mean, the list goes on here. You know, whether it be Bill O'Reilly, Roger Ailes, the president has taken to the defense, you know, of, of the men here. Um, this is difficult. Kellyanne Conway came out with a very different message. She said, you know, I do believe the women. But then you've got but dot, dot, dot. So, you know, who's leading the course here on this? What message are the American people going to be hearing? It's not Kellyanne Conway. It's the president, because he's the human starting gun just by the nature of the job. And it's going to have political consequences. We saw last year in 2017 and somewhat this year so far in special elections and regular elections, women are abandoning the Republican Party. We've always been told we have a war on women, which is a fictitious war. And we're making it a reality. On top of that, we have been able to, as a party, get majorities in the House and the Senate by getting married white women in the suburbs to vote for us. But now we're seeing them move away from us as well. And this pushes them away further and further. So when Donald Trump says this, it has political costs. There are also moral costs in that he hasn't said ever, and anybody who's ever been set, stood up and said something bad happened to me, he stood by the accused and never the accuser. No words of sympathy. It's always they're in it for the spotlight or they're liars. What does that say? And what does that say? Why does he feel that that's beneficial if that's the thinking? Because Donald Trump is incapable of actually demonstrating human emotion uh, and actually demonstrating some empathy for people who, even if he doesn't believe it, um, the fact that he can't at least show some sort of reaction that suggests this is wrong, this is bad behavior. In every instance, there's some sort of defense of the perpetrator. And then you have to ask yourself, well, why is this? Well, if you consistently put people, surround yourself with people who consistently get into trouble like this, you have to start saying, why is that? Well, perhaps because it's a worldview that's shared by the president. And I think we've seen that time and time again throughout the campaign, throughout his presidency, that this is a man who has trouble with women broadly. 
So is this a prelude to there being a shakeup in the making, that you've got this mixed messaging, that you've got the president standing behind, you know, his comments, also throwing his support and saying he's standing behind by way of Kellyanne Conway, you know, words. Chief of Staff John Kelly, his job is not in trouble. I think the president is a little right and a lot wrong. A little right because we see the rush to judgment right now in Hollywood, in the business world, where there are innocent people who are getting trampled and wrongly accused. However, in this case, especially as the president in someone in his inner circle, with pretty much proof that something happened at the very least, at the very least he should be empathetic and say what he said if he wants to say that, but then dot, 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 Mm -hmm. but we also need to protect the women here, understand that Mm -hmm. it is likely that she's telling the truth, and, and be human, as you were saying. But he sends the message, does he not, that this is more political than it is about morality because the president himself was quick um, to, you know, condemn Al Franken. You know, there was a photograph of, you know, um, Well, there was a photograph of him doing something. Right. He was in that picture. Exactly. But the president was quick to say, you know, he, this should cost him his job. And now he's saying there ought to be due process and that these jobs, you know, that their livelihood should not be well, and the bigger, destroyed. The bigger issue is that the, the, the White House knew about this. The White House knew about this for a long time. In fact, there, security clearances weren't granted because of this. And so the fact is that no one did anything about it until such a point as it became public mm-hmm. tells you everything you need to know about the kind of character that is uh, unnecessary to actually serve in the White House. And that's why the timeline is so important. The timeline that is still right now, you know, mystifying. We don't know what, what happened, who, know, who knew what when, although reportedly, you know, John Kelly did know in November, but the White House is trying to backtrack on that. Right, and, and they are eventually going to need to answer those questions, whether Will it's they? to the press soon or whether it's potentially to Congress at some point uh, down the line. But look, there's also a backdrop for this that I think is really important to understanding why they have handled things the way they've handled things, which is they have had a devil of a time getting anyone to go work in the White House, right? That traditionally in an administration, a new presidency, people are banging down the doors to get these jobs in so the White House. And if there's anybody, right, well, and if there's anybody who has any blot on their record, they're out mm-hmm. because they will eventually embarrass the president and forget spousal abuse. That's, I mean, that's a capital crime as far as a, a political political employment is concerned, but anything, a DUI, things, things that are clearly, you know, far less severe, although still criminal, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're totally disqualified, but you're in a position now where General mm-hmm. Kelly is looking around him and saying, well, who do I even have to work for? Right, me? but a timeline or an explanation is important because we're talking about Rob Porter and maybe between 30 and 40 others who have been able to work on an interim uh, clearance. Yeah, look, there's no way that they didn't know something was up. I mean, you can't be there with an FBI clearance and a full background check before you even enter that building for the first time, and a red flag was not put up. Somebody had it on their desk, like, we got to look out for this, and maybe it wasn't finalized, but I'm sure they had a lot more than, than they're showing right now. All right, thank you so much, gentlemen. Appreciate your time. We'll talk again very soon, <laughs> in minutes. Coming up, uh, Barack and Michelle Obama return to the spotlight to unveil their official portraits Our panel is back, weighing in on the rather unique portrayals of the former first couple. I tried to negotiate less gray hair. 
and Gehenna's artistic integrity would not allow him to do what I asked. I tried to negotiate smaller ears. <laughs> Struck out on that as well. <laughs> A rather lighthearted moment there at the unveiling of the official portraits for Barack and Michelle Obama. The former president and first lady will be immortalized alongside their predecessors at the National Portrait Gallery in Washington, D.C. And the Obamas are shaking up the art world by using African-American artists known for breaking the mold. Let's get back uh, with my panel now. So, Rob, these artists, Amy Sherald and Kehinde Wiley, uh, <laughs> they did not work together in unison, but they both took rather creative approaches to capturing the former president and first lady. Your impressions? Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> let's see. It would have been great. Put on your art critic Yeah, I, I, if I could do this one. I kind of like Italian art, but... <laughs> I think, you know, it would have been interesting to see if one of the Obamas, if they didn't like it, if they, when it was unveiled, like, whoa, because that's uh -huh. very different. I mean, even with the president, I don't particularly like it because I don't think it's statesmanlike. You know, with the, they have, what, flowers from Kenya, Chicago, and Hawaii, which has meaning to him, obviously. Michelle Obama, I didn't even know that was her. Honestly, I, if I'm looking at that for the first time... I think that's Molly or somebody. I don't know that's Michelle Obama. So I don't particularly like it, but that's it's not my portrait. Yeah, well, you know, so Alex, you know, they were both very gracious, you know, about those images. Um, but, you know, there has been a lot of mixed reaction. You know, the president kind of in the garden, sitting in the chair uh, with an open collar. Uh, Michelle Obama, you know, wearing that kind of graphic arts dress and um, kind of suspended in a lot of this, you know, robin's egg blue. Um, it does... It's not traditional, but, you know, there there must be some level of appreciation, particularly in the art world, on all of this. Well, I, I'm a political reporter, not a culture reporter, <laughs> so I don't uh, pretend to have terribly sophisticated thoughts about this. But I will say, I do like the idea of not just doing the usual thing, right? That when you walk through the portrait gallery in Washington, and it's wonderful, it's a, it's a spectacular museum, yeah. you know, the presidents do tend to blend together over the years, that how yeah. many different poses can you have standing <laughs> next to a desk with a piece of paper? <laughs> but this hand, is right? different. Yeah. So this yeah. is very different. And in the garden. You know, if you want to be remembered as different, yeah. <laughs> as standing out from yeah. the crowd, you know, I sort of admire the the approach. Yeah, and, and it sort of it sort of conforms. I think. I mean, let's be honest. This is a different president. This is our first African American president. Our first African American first lady. I mean, these are sort of groundbreaking portraits and politicians. So, I mean, it is certainly outside of what we're used to seeing. Um, I, I'm again, I, likewise, I'm not an art critic, um, <laughs> but I'd say, look, I think the president looks. I, I think the president's portrait in particular reeks of President Obama more than perhaps. Uh, the First Lady's portrait reeks of her, but I, I certainly think it looks like him, how pensive he is. Notice he has fairly large hands. I'm not saying it was trolling of the current <laughs> president, <laughs> um, but perhaps, um, who knows? Can't wait to troll. There's the, joke, <laughs> there's the joke going around that every leaf signifies a drone strike the president ordered. Oh, is that uh, a, But it, I actually think there symbolism. is a positive There is a lot of symbolism in art, and so yes. maybe this is, you know... There is a, a, a hidden positive, I think, that will play out over time what to the uniqueness of these portraits mm. in that they are different. And I think for a kid who's being dragged along yeah, by their yeah, parents who is seeing all the presidents and they're just the same style, and then they say, who is that? And they yeah. might get curious and want to learn about that. Well, if they and know I don't who that care. is, we got a problem with our education. <laughs> I don't care <laughs> if you are a Republican or a Democrat. I think President Obama and Michelle Obama, what they came from, what they overcame, and where they reached 
I think that's an inspirational story, and I think kids across America for 20, 30, 40, 50 years and beyond yeah. will actually take heart and be inspired by that. Something else that has um, become rather unique, perhaps for this president, particularly during the Trump administration, you know, uh, among the predecessors who have spoken out. While George W. Bush didn't necessarily mention names, you knew what he was talking about when he talked about a divisive kind of nature. Uh, president Obama has not been very outspoken about the Trump administration even while being and playing witness to a number of his accomplishments, you know, that are being unraveled. Um, is that intentional? Do you think that's going to change? Or is he waiting for the right moment, do you think, Alex? Oh, I think that is going to change. You know, he's been careful because, you know, the view among his advisors, and I assume it's a view that he shares, is that he doesn't want to create situations where, you know, President Trump can avoid defending his stances by making it a personality feud with his immediate predecessor. But... You know, we're heading into a midterm election year. Democrats badly uh, want Barack and Michelle Obama out there, and they're going to pick their spots very carefully, but they're going to be out there. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Appreciate it. All right. This is day 389 of Trump's President Trump's administration. Uh, that's the state of America tonight, and we'll see you back here tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.